This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. There have been a lot of workplace trends and buzzwords this year, but one is getting all the attention. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and from WBEZ Chicago, this is Reset. Have you heard of this? I want to tell you about this new trend at work. It's called quiet quitting. A new buzzword has sparked the debate about the workplace. Quiet quitting, and now you have quiet firing. They're feeling a conversation about work-life balance and beyond. The concept of quiet quitting. Not doing a job with two to three people, you know, stuff like that. Is making some very loud noise on TikTok. And now you've heard of the term, maybe even have thought about quietly quitting yourself. But why is this a buzzword now? Quiet quitting. It's a phrase related to the amount of work you put into your job. But how real is it? And how do people feel about it? Well, our team was thinking the same thing. We're joined now by Reset producer Micah Yason. Micah, let's start by just talking about what quiet quitting is. For people like me still trying to understand this new phrase. Yeah. So like the general sort of definition of it, it's an approach to work where someone just meets the minimum requirements of their job description and nothing more than that. So not really going above and beyond. But there is a little bit more to it than just that. So there is more. So tell us. Yeah. So there there are kind of two ways to sort of think about it. There is one more of like the negative sort of connotation, a passive nuance where, you know, you are doing the bare minimum, but that can sort of equate to being lazy. You know, you have a very clear sense of like your nine to five, like I'm working nine to five. Just don't ping me after five because you're not going to get a response. Yeah. Um, and another way to sort of look at it is that more proactive, more positive way. Um, a lot of people kind of see it as just another reframing of having boundaries with work and life, just having a clear work-life balance. Love that B word, boundaries. Uh-huh. Well, you put the question out on social media. You went to Instagram and you asked people what they thought about quiet quitting. Also, work-life balance, right? And you got a big response. So tell us what you found. Yeah, I did. And just for transparency's sake, a lot of my followers on Instagram are uh, Gen X, or not Gen X, Gen Z, Gen sorry, Z. <laughs> and millennials. Okay. So just kind of looking more at that negative sort of connotation first, I had someone tell me, Somebody I was transferring projects with quiet quit, and that screwed me over slowly. Well, we also got a voicemail from Abe, who's an engineer that's been working for the government now for two years. I want to play a little bit of what he had to say about quiet quitting. I think people don't realize when they're quiet quitting is they think that really it only affects the company and they don't feel so bad about quiet quitting because it indirectly hurts uh, like a larger corporation or whatnot. But one thing that happened to me in particular is my coworker who was quite quitting, the fact that they didn't do their work gave me additional work. So I have a feeling you got some similar responses, Micah, about the that domino effect, right? The workload right. getting heavier for those who 
maybe yeah. aren't quiet quitting? Yeah, absolutely. And Sam said, no, I don't quiet quit because it just puts more work on your coworkers. If you don't work with a team, then sure, shrug emoji. Um, JJ said, if someone's tried their best to get recognition or raise, um, et cetera, but the company refuses, then quiet quitting seems valid. Um, another response from Catherine, they say, we don't owe our companies our loyalty if they have no loyalty towards us. Um, so I got a message from John, too, and it's interesting because he's a managing director at a global consulting firm, and he's been working for around 20 years. And he mentioned that as a manager, he doesn't like it when people quiet quit but understands it, And you know, especially in, in those workplaces where there is a culture of just always working hard. Many employees interpret this as a stark difference in values. And when an, an employee believes management just values hard work, yet the employee values work-life balance, then the environment becomes ripe for quiet quitters. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about this flip side of quiet quitting just a bit more, the, the proactive framing that you mentioned earlier. What did those kinds of responses look like? Right. And so the question that I put out is like, do you quiet quit? And one response I got was, yeah, every day, LOL. Another one was, yeah, with six H's. Um, Naz says, I love it. It sets boundaries, plus stops you from being exploited. Um, As a manager, your team performs better. Um, I got a response from Anthony. He's a civil engineer who's been um, in the industry for about three years and entered aviation in 2020. So that's really cool. And here's what he had to say. I would say quiet quitting is not solely a result of selfish decisions of a few corporate executives. It's also um, a cultural shift with millennial and Gen Z values kind of taking up um, and sharing their stories of self-care, self-preservation, self-advocacy, and social media has allowed us to prioritize our mental health and well-being over productivity. A lot more people are cognizant of their working conditions and they know that they demand and they know that they can demand a healthier work environment. When you hear about tech companies giving out free food, flexible hours, a limited PTO, work from home, it's, it's hard to not compare to those companies and want to be able to have a better work environment and not just accept with the hand that you're dealt. Mm. Right. And I think that that what Anthony said is like a really big piece of it is that cultural shift. Um, I also spoke to Barbara. She's in her early career in architecture and she graduated last year. So if you're completing the tasks in your job description, I don't see any issues with simply going to work for a paycheck. And while that might be seen as doing the bare minimum, Maybe that's a way that people can find more energy outside of clocking in to do the things that they are invested in. This is all very interesting stuff, Micah, but I'm curious. You're hearing such varying responses. What were your big takeaways from, from what folks said to you? Right. I feel like the, the big takeaways here are that just people are, are frustrated with, with bad working conditions. And I think at a human level, people just want to be understood You know, when things are hard rather than continuing to be pushed and continuing to be told, like, you, you have to put in 100% of themselves um, and work. And you know what Abe said about, like, having coworkers that, you know, like, maybe they quiet quit and then you take up their slack. It's just sometimes it's hard to find that place of work where that culture is, you know, everyone is in it together and, you know, you have all yeah. that that support and you have a team. And I feel like it's a, a lot of folks just trying to get maybe employers to understand, like, there is a lot going on right now that mm-hmm. we're all sort of trying to deal with at the same exactly. time and still prioritize this job. Right. Um, so it, it does 
take a balancing we act. We are human. We are human. <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about quiet quitting. It's a term that was used a lot this year. It refers to employees doing just enough to skate by. Uh, we're discussing how people feel about it, though, with Reset producer Micah Yason and the responses. They really do run the gamut. Um, where do you, Micah, think that the term quiet quitting actually came from? So I know a lot of people say that it's it came from from TikTok as a lot of it's things. always TikTok always TikTok um, as a lot of things come out of TikTok. But you know I think it's hard to talk about this shift without you know mentioning COVID and w- without mentioning the fact that people are more open to talking about their mental health and you know the things that they're struggling with. Like I mentioned earlier, it's just at a human level like. It's it's hard to take your your human self out of your work self, you know. Yeah. Well, you are also early in your career, Micah. Yeah, I am. Do you feel like quiet quitting is something that you've experienced? I and this would be well before you got here. Oh, because. absolutely. <laughs> Not happening here at WBEZ. No, <laughs> I'd say you know, yeah, like it's it's something you know. You have those days where. I don't have the bandwidth or I don't have the energy. And there are Mm -hmm. those days that I can solidly, I'll give you 75%. But then there are those other days where I feel like I can give 110%. Um, And I spoke with Jacob and and I feel like he sort of understands and sort of, uh, you know, sort of feels the same way that I do, especially because he's a student and also works as a designer and artist. I'd really like to think that I put in like, you know, the best effort that I can do for my work. After all, I'd like to think that anything that I produce speaks to my skill and talent as, like, uh, a professional in the field. However, I, I can see where it can come from, and I can understand it and empathize with it. I can see how it's like if you find yourself stuck in a place or just unmotivated with your work, that you can find yourself, like, not wanting to, like, move forward in that one uh, position that you're in. I can probably think about times where I found myself, like, especially in this kind of bringing back around to, like, being a designer and artist is, like, I can find myself being feeling stuck or even unappreciated in a situation and that can lead me to feeling just so kind of worn down and just kind of giving up on like a job that I want and maybe considering moving to another workplace where I'd be uh, or at least I'd feel potentially more appreciated. Yeah, Jacob has me thinking a lot about past experiences of my own where... Uh, again, I'm battling parenting as well, right? Yeah. I'm juggling that and the job and just I did go through a phase where I was just all about the work all the time yeah, and, and didn't know how to turn it off. Exactly. There, There is there. So like you can kind of like see it as a spectrum where quiet quitters are at one end and then it's people that are those are the workaholics at the other end. Mm-hmm. And I kind of find myself like it's hard to find yourself in the middle. Yeah. It's easy to kind of go back and forth between those things. And I think part of it is because like loving what you do so much, I think so what he was talking about, too, is just kind of having your name on the work that you produce and you want it to be good. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel good when you put in all of that work and you don't feel like you're getting the recognition that, you know, you definitely deserve. Um, And another part of this, too, is just like I I am an immigrant and my me and my family and, you know, we moved from the Philippines to here. And there is that sort of culture around, you know, you have to work hard because we came here for a reason and I feel like that definitely adds to it. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up watching my Caribbean parents kind of do the same thing and, you know, get us from one country to another. My mom working two jobs, my dad working two jobs, my mom going from one job literally to the other, like seven to three, then three to 11 and another. Like, I'm like, there aren't enough hours in the day. And so my upbringing, I then start to think, okay, well, this is how it is, right? And so in high school, I'm working multiple jobs, right? Right. And juggling school. So 
eventually I got better and I'm, I, I've worked to, to figure out a better balance. I'm not all the way there yet, though. Yeah. So your big conclusion here, Micah, mm-hmm. we're human. Yeah, I think I think the this this talk and this discourse around quiet quitting it's just a small piece of a larger conversation about just how do we balance work and life and just how much do people care about their jobs being that source of fulfillment for them. Um you know, Yuri, you know, uh, gave me gave me some words and she said, you know, quiet quitting just sounds like a healthy boundary setting reframed. So Love that. Micah Yason is a reset producer. Thank you so much, Micah. Thank you. We've been discussing a workplace trend that's been the talk of the Internet, quiet quitting. Whether you think of it as doing the bare minimum at work or having a clear line between your personal life and your nine to five, it's a small piece of a larger discussion about work-life balance. So let's continue the conversation. We're joined now by three professionals, all at different stages in their careers. Mike Melendrez is the founder of Red Circle Inc., a Chicago recruiting firm. Viet Nguyen is a lead product designer working in finance tech who's been in the industry for seven years. And Justice De Los Santos is a writer for Major League Baseball at MLB.com. He entered the workforce two years ago. Now, before this segment, we were talking about quiet quitting. What are your thoughts on it? Have you experienced it before? I'll start with you, Viet. Um, yeah, it's definitely I've experienced it before. It comes in waves. I think my job now is I'm more managerial in nature, so it's not easy for me to quiet quit now. But in the past, when I've worked as an individual contributor, where my job was measured by the tasks I was doing. Um, definitely have experienced levels where my level of engagement was pretty minimal. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Well, as a founder and an owner, uh, I don't get the quiet quit. <laughs> That's uh, not an option. But we talk about it all the time. I work with a lot of founders, and we talk about this concept. And I get where it comes from. It, get, it comes from years of organizations not concentrating on culture, not concentrating on those that are part of their team. And communicating with them and understanding what's important for them and letting the culture drive kind of people shaming people into working more hours and doing more projects. And why didn't you answer that ping at 530 yeah. where perhaps they could have, but the culture was just a little toxic and it, it allowed people to shame people into doing more work. Justice, how do you feel about quiet quitting? Yeah, especially being in the the realm of journalism where there is that element of you know, things being nonstop, especially now in the, the social media area where it is the, the 24 hour news cycle where you might get a notification at 5 a.m. You might get a notification at 5 p.m. And to, you know, kind of draw back on some of my um, not my specific experiences, but in, in talking with friends around the industry, that has been a, a huge reason as to why they've either, you know, dialed back their level of engagement at their current positions or they've just walked away from the industry as a whole. I remember back in uh, spring training, which is baseball's preseason, mm-hmm. um, news broke at 3 a.m. And none of the people who were responsible for that specific team were awake. And thank goodness that like, our specific site had like a group of people that were ready around the clock. But that's just kind of that's one of the more mm. extreme examples of, you know, how this industry can kind of shake out. But I've definitely seen it around where people are either just dialing back, turning off their phones entirely when they're not required or just stepping away from the industry as a whole as a result of the demands of the job. Yeah, I'm going to stick with you for for just another moment there, Justice, because as I mentioned earlier, you are early into your career. So what does work-life balance look like for you then personally? It's funny. I was I was journaling last night trying to 
you know, recollect what this past year has been because now it's the off season. Things have slowed down a little bit on the baseball end, but I think the very first sentence that I wrote as I was journaling was what is work life balance kind of <laughs> look like these Does days. It because exist? It, does it, that's the big question because, you know, as I was jotting down, it seemed more like it, 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 there was always this overwhelming sense that there was always something to do, especially this being, you know, my first time truly moving away from home. I'm originally from uh, the San Francisco Bay area, currently residing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, away from family, away from friends. And, you know, there's this overwhelming sensation of like, oh, if I don't have an assignment due, there's an assignment to prep for. If I don't have, you know, a written assignment to do, there's a multimedia assignment to prep for. And if that's done, um, something in the kitchen's probably not not clean. So there's laundry that's probably not being done. And so there's this always this overwhelming sense of there's something to do. And it can be overwhelming, especially when you get to those waves where, you know, it's not, you're not wondering what you have to do when it's just right in front of you. And so that's kind of, the tricky thing to navigate. And it's never, you know, you never really step off the tightrope, so to speak. There's always that sense of, you know, trying to yeah. navigate. There always seems to be a trade-off of, of some sort. So, Mike, I feel like your experience has been a, a little bit different. So you've been working for 27 years. When you first entered the workforce, though, what was having a sense of work-life balance challenging for you? Oh, I didn't care about work-life balance. <laughs> Were you just work, work, work? I was work, 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 hit quota, break quota, hit President's Club. How was I going to make more money? Mm. I was all about that. And then I started learning a little more. A friend of mine told me I need a little, made, make a little space in my life in order to make meet, meet that special someone. And I told her, no, I'll make it once I meet that special someone. She's like... Hey, that's not how it works. <laughs> so were you even trying to strike a balance? No, all? no, there, there, there was no balance back then. And, uh, and then as an early entrepreneur in the first few years, there was no balance. And then there was a few things that like came together that made me say, hey, it's time to find some balance. Well, I see a ring on your hand. So I think you found that special someone and you're probably juggling a bit better now these, <laughs> these I, days. But I got this ring and the best wife in the world. After making the space. Yeah. I didn't make the space after I found her, right? And and so, yeah. So now I am married 11 years. I have a 10-year-old daughter. My identical twin boys turned nine yesterday. Oh, wow. And I left the office yesterday at four to be at Lincoln Park Zoo by five. And then today I walked my kids to school. That's wonderful. Yeah. That, that, that to me, is work-life balance. Uh, let's hear from you, Viet. How do you balance work and life these days? Yeah. So I'll kind of talk about this in... Um, a couple segments of my career. So when I first started as a designer, I was joining a lot of, uh, you know, well-oiled machines where you show up to work, there's a clear amount of tasks for you to do, and then you can just kind of clock out. And so at the very beginning, especially in like internship stages, quiet quitting was pretty prevalent for me. Um, And then eventually I found my way into a startup and uh, work-life balance did not exist. And it wasn't like people were telling me I needed to work hard. More so when you join a startup, you're in a small team, you care about the mission of the, the thing that you're working on, and a lot of people depend on you. So I was putting in, you know, 60-hour work weeks. No one was asking me to, but I felt like I wanted to. And I would say a lot of my self-esteem was tied into that job. Yeah. Um, hmm. Your later self-esteem on my career, was tied in. Oh, yeah. Well, and because I, you know, I was one of those people who chose a career path that aligned with my quote-unquote passion, which is design. Um, so a lot of self-esteem was time there. I see. Um, I, would, I would say, though, when I joined my most recent gig, I'm in a corporate environment. Um, 
things kind of mellowed out and I was like, okay, sweet. This is work-life balance. I can finally live the life of a corporate worker. I can take it real easy. Um, but I'm kind of in that stage of my career where I'm getting promoted into management um, and I'm accepting these opportunities because I want to, but now I'm realizing my job is a lot of relationship management. And to me, quiet quitting would be failing my coworkers by not supporting them. So I, I choose not to be as uh, less engaged as I was before. I see. So you're thinking of others as you're yeah, making that definitely. decision. Definitely. And Justice, I want to go back to your unique situation where the work just is demanding and you're traveling a lot for, for work. But do you feel like at this point you've been able to create boundaries? Yeah, I think it's it is a little tough just because in the realm of, you know, be reporting like a specific team like that's kind of your baby in a sense. It's like you want to make sure that you're on top of every little thing. And, you know, even the times when I've had, you know, two days off, three days off and it's really hard to just completely shut it out because so much can happen in, in a span of three days where I'm not in a position where I can entirely shut it off. Like I'll find myself checking Twitter, like when a game's going on during the middle of the season. And it, it is this interesting position where even if I try to make that dedicated decision to where like, okay, I'm going to put the phone down and I'm going to dedicate my time to reading or writing or photography or going to the gym even if I intend to just, you know, be fully present in that activity, have no association with work whatsoever, eventually at by some point, maybe an hour in, two hours in, eventually it's going to creep back in my mind. Hey, you should check the score of what's going on. Hey, you should see what the other writers <laughs> yeah. are writing. Yeah. And so it's like, it, it is this perpetual nonstop. And I am now that it is the off season, I'm trying to kind of figure out, you know, come spring training next year, how to navigate that fine line, how to ensure that when, next season comes around, I'm able to be in a more, you know, healthy position. But, you know, I've talked with more experienced writers that have been in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years, and even they're struggling to find that balance, which you know, makes hard. me feel it's hard. It's hard. It's I hard. mean, I, you're, you're talking, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, because I mean, I'm thinking of times where I'm taking, you know, a vacation from this news business. And I mean, it's not really a vacation if I'm still checking my Twitter updates, and I'm still, you know, finding out the latest headlines. Mike, you're making a face at me. So I want to know what you're thinking right now. And I also, because you're you're so interesting in that you you are an employer, I would love you to talk about what employers can do better to make this more attainable for the rest of us. Yeah, I, I made a face there because I think, so I think first and foremost, work-life balance is a shared responsibility. Yeah. So, and I think- Shared between employees and employers? Yes, and so you have a group of people that is a company that that the culture needs to be one of work-life balance in order for people to have work-life balance and feel good about it, right? So I think that's kind of where quiet quitting came from is if the culture says, hey, work, 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 and you're trying to have work-life balance, you're just like, hey, I'm just going to – I'm going to quite quit this thing. Mm-hmm. But if the culture says, hey, so we uh, – this past year we instituted into our, uh, our, our, our handbook a metaphysical Snickers day. And so what that means is if you're that, if you're that girl on the commercial where it's like you're being mean and you're turning to somebody else and they hand you a Snickers, you turn back into yourself. If you feel that, you have all the, all the latitude in the world in our company to take a metaphysical Snickers day and you have to take it against your PTO. 
that's our culture is about PTO. And so if the I founders see. and the executives say, hey, we're going to create this culture to allow people to have work-life balance, people can feel good about having work-life balance. It's not even about it allowing. It's like also like encouraging it, right? Yeah. Encouraging that people take days off. Like I've worked in places before where it was almost like frowned upon for you to dare you know, take days off. And that's what made me a workaholic when I worked for a Fortune 500 company because if you took vacation, you were weaker and you were viewed that way. Yeah. So you start with the culture, but then on the individual level, the team member, I think it's important to understand not just the, the words work-life balance, but what does it mean to you? How does it manifest itself to you? What do you want it to look like? And I think if you understand what you want out of that work-life balance, when you go to the set those boundaries and say, hey, for me, it's my, my importance is my family, my wife and my kids and my community who I serve. And if I'm able to, within my 40 hours a week, execute at the way I want to so that when I shut, shut up shop, I don't have to do anything else. I can go serve my community or my family. But if you don't understand the why, why do I want work-life balance? What am I going to do at 502? Yeah. You're going to allow yourself to not do your work at an excellent level that you want to be. And then at 510, you still have work left to do. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. This hour, we've been focusing on the workplace. Right now, we're talking about balancing work and life. With us is Mike Melendres, who's the founder of Red Circle Inc., Viet Nguyen, who's a mid-career product designer in fintech, and Justice De Los Santos, who's an early career writer for MLB.com. So we spoke to a listener who's been working in uh, finance tech for over 20 years. He told us that before COVID, he would regularly take walks during the day. This was when he was working from the office. And then after transitioning to working from home, he started to find it hard to make times to do the things that he used to do. So he said he had to just rethink the way that he works from home. So now he doesn't feel as much pressure to make sure that his status is active on teams, right? Um, or he's comfortable now saying, hey, I'm okay with everyone seeing that I'm inactive for a little bit because I'm human. Sometimes I need a break. So Viet, do you feel like the COVID pandemic has made you either unlearn or rethink the way that you separate your time? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I do take a lot of walks in the middle of the day. I sit on the couch quite frequently, too. And it's funny that I can feel comfortable saying that now because I think that the shared understanding with many workers that, like, you're not always going to be at your computer. And that's totally normal. In fact, you need to rest and take breaks to do a better job when you are engaged. Yeah. Uh, Justice, or Mike, I should, I should ask you about that rethinking and unlearning strategy. Well, you, you had put it in, especially since you put it in March twenty twenty, yeah, right. And I think that turned everybody upside down. Like at the end of the first year of COVID, when I was journaling about what do the goals look like personally and for the company next year, one of my goals was you have to get out of that cave way more often and hang out with your kids mm -hmm. because it was really easy to keep that door closed. Because oh, I'm home; it doesn't matter. That it's kind of work life balance, but no, it, it was worse. I agree with what was just said that. It, it, people need to rethink how they maintain their boundaries mm -hmm. if they're staying working from home moving forward. We also got a comment from a listener, Danny, who said, uh, my favorite days to work are those outside of the home when I have my commute to create official boundaries between work time and home time. Justice, do you find it difficult to unplug after work just because I mean, you, you end up having access to things like your work laptop or you have Slack on your phone? Yeah, I actually... I am a little extra in the sense that like once I leave the ballpark, I actually have a, 
a very short video that I record from home um, after the games, which takes me about 30, 35 minutes. So my workday is kind of wonky in that it's, you know, starts at 2 p.m., ends at like maybe 1 a.m. Okay. There, I do love the actual element of being able to physically, like, even though I have to do that video, I do love the element of having to physically leave a ballpark. And I live about 15 minutes from the ballpark. So just that 15 minutes of a quiet drive home where I'll play some, you know, I'll play my more relaxing playlist. I'll, I'll, I'll throw the windows down, things of that nature. So kind of, even though I do know that there's something awaiting me when I do go yeah. back home, I, I love that separation, that like feeling of, physically leaving a bubble yeah. and getting into a space where I'm like oh, okay I'm home like yeah I gotta do stuff now but you know I can make some food I can my bed is right there and you know feeling that you know that weight off my shoulders at the end of a day yeah and, and we should mention Justice you started your career during the pandemic yeah it's a it was a very interesting time especially last season um to provide a little context um, the first couple of months of last year's Major League Baseball season, there was not, um, there was no clubhouse access. Clubhouse being, um, you know, the time when writers can physically go into the clubhouse, talk with players, and there was no on-field access. Okay. And so, for a lot of publications, there was really no point in sending their writers to the stadium. So, the first couple of months last season, when I was in, interning, you know, I would be covering games in. Florida or you know New York just somewhere like completely outside the Bay Area where it was kind of an even playing field and you know while this season you know there is the element of travel you know I'm bouncing from one city to the other I have to go to the ballpark covering sports specifically it is it is very much different like I do enjoy the element of physically going to a ballpark because when you're just watching a game on your laptop and you feel like no buzz it's like it's like what are we doing here and there's also the element of camaraderie of like when something crazy happens just turning to your fellow people on the beat be like did that just happen like what or like what is going on here so it, it is a little I, I'm very grateful now that we have the opportunity to physically be, be back in spaces and we can feel the electricity that comes with the ballpark because you know doing it over a laptop was a, a completely different animal and you're just staring at your screen for eight hours opposed to physically yeah. like looking at grass looking at dirt yeah no that that's that's a that's a good point so before I let you all go, I do have a question for I would love to hear from 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 each of you because um I would love for you to give advice to folks who are listening now and who may be struggling to find a balance of of time that that works for them right I've heard a couple of you at least mention journaling and that that's something that you you do um How does it help you find a balance in your life justice I'll start with you. Uh, the element of like journaling in particular, or just you know work balance in particular. Yeah, you can talk about the journaling, and then you can sort of share advice for what you think other folks can try. Yeah, I like I, I love the element of journaling just because there's you know I'm of the opinion that we've got so much stuff that's cluttered in our head, and the way that I see it, it's almost transactional. Like when you start writing things, like literally, I could feel the energy like transferring from my arm into the paper, and I can get that release um, in a sense. In terms of the element of work-life balance as a whole, I think it is a constant, you know, trial and error, seeing what things work, seeing what things don't. And it, it is something that takes time. I think it took me about three months before I settled into a routine where I felt truly comfortable mm -hmm. in terms of being able to, you know, go to the gym, you know, take walks, things of that nature, and then being able to handle business. But, you know, it is an element of trial and error, you know, be have that willingness to do something that you're normally not accustomed to, because you might stumble upon something that it's like, hey, that's what I was looking for the entire time. Yeah. Viet, how about you? 
How are you balancing work and life and that you think you can sort of impart with our listeners? Yeah, I think going on the theme of journaling, maybe this is more of a framing technique for what to journal about. Um, so growing up, my mom was giving me this framing, which is there's your work and there's your job. And she would always define work as your craft. It's the thing that you do that hopefully you enjoy doing. And then the job is everything else. It's the relationships, it's the managers, it's where the company is at in the market. And just kind of having an understanding of your relationship to do those two things will help you kind of gain a lot of clarity around work-life balance. I like that. So like, for example, I was saying earlier about how my self-esteem was really tied into my work. And that's because I chose a design art career, which is very closely tied to how I express myself. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the last word, Mike. Well, first off, I got to give a like on that. Hey, it's your craft and how you invest in it. Yeah. Because I think that the journaling allows you to explore your why. And in this situation, there's two whys. Why is my work meaningful to me? And why do I want to invest in myself in that work? And then why is the next part of the life? What if, what What is that why? How does it manifest itself for me? And then when we look at that and journal about it and put those together, we talk about boundaries a lot, right? Yeah. And people will say rigid boundaries, but I think if you keep them just a little bit malleable, right? Because if I work at a place that says, hey, you got to go to a soccer game at 3 p.m., get out of here. Go to the soccer game. But then that should make that 6 o'clock email a little easier because your workplace, back to the culture, has the culture to say, hey, go do whatever you need for your family. We'll be here for you. Then when you get that, that ping at 6 o'clock, you're like, you know what? Those are my people. They took care of me. I'll take care so of So there's them. an exchange. Yeah. yeah. Mike Melendres is the founder of Red Circle, Inc. in Chicago. Justice De Los Santos is a writer for MLB.com. And Viet Nguyen is a lead product designer working in finance tech. Thank you all so much for sharing those stories with us. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. If you're not subscribed to our podcast by now, well, frankly, I don't know what you're doing. Hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode and leave us a rating while you're there. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.